This is Vixen John, creator of Minute Made New York, and you're listening to Minutes Heard. On today's episode of Minutes Heard, I sit down with Bashoi Tadros, motivational speaker, athlete, and author of the book Break Barriers. I was introduced to Bashoi through his PR partners as their goal was to help share Bashoi's inspirational message through a different audience. We sit down to discuss his humble yet challenging beginnings as an Egyptian-born U.S. citizen. We discuss his challenges and triumphs as he started his running career, as well as talking about his journey of writing his book and how it all came to be. So sit down and take a listen to this great conversation from an amazing individual. Yes. How do you pronounce your name? Bishoy. Bishoy. Tadros. Tadros. Bishoy Tadros. Yep. Okay. So for someone like me, Vixen John, it's, <laughs> you know, I just want to make sure I get no, you're good, you're unique good. names uh, down pat. Right? So, um, so first and foremost, how did you hear about the series? Uh, I heard about the series through my publicist, actually, who reached out to me and said that she came across uh, the website and uh, contacted you and uh, thought it would be a good fit. And so, you know, I, I, I had her uh, reach wide for opportunities, and I was excited when this came across my desk. Good, good. Well, great. I'm glad to be able to have the chance to sit down with you because, for the, um, you know, what I was mentioning is that most of the people that I profile are people that I know, right? There are people in all walks of life. And there's only been a few scenarios where I've profiled people that I don't know, just um, random people off the street, you know, and those are the types of stories that I'd like to get more of. But the fact that, you know, um, someone reached out and said, like, hey, this is an amazing person, amazing story, you know, I'm kind of excited for this because, you know, I mean, and you can confirm, we don't know each other. We do not know each other. <laughs> yeah. We just met each other about 10 minutes ago. Right, exactly. We are two complete strangers, but strangers semantically, you know, obviously. Yeah, We're just two people that happen to be connected through, you know, a similar source. And, yep. you know, so I'm going to get to know you throughout this whole conversation. It's going to be interesting because, you know, from the minimal that I've read, and obviously I like, went through your profile and stuff for the most part to get to have an idea of who you are, you know, all this information is going to be new to me. And we're probably going to share some things that are, you know, similar and, and different and, you know, just kind of create a connection here. And Absolutely. I think that's one of the main reasons why I started the series is because I want the opportunity for people to get to know others that they may cross on the street every day. Who knows? We probably cross each other on the street, like, and we would have no idea that that person has a story, you know, because everyone has a type of story. Now, you happen to translate your story into a book, which <laughs> for some people is a feat, but for you, you know, that was something that you felt like you know, needed to happen for your journey. And speaking of journey, um, so let's go back to the beginning, right? Leukemia, three. That, like, I can barely remember my childhood. And if I can, it's only like specific moments. For you, your childhood was defined by this condition. So, I mean, obviously we can't, I don't know if you can remember back to three, but obviously, you know, just talk about, you know, your childhood and how, this condition, you know, shaped it, and on top of that, how, you know, your childhood, I mean, I'm assuming might have been different from others, you know, because you had to grow up with something, like, very challenging, you probably had no idea what it was about, and just learning it throughout that phase, so yeah, just, yeah. like, kind of go through that. Um, yeah, so, for, for background, for, for listeners, uh, my, my story is predicated on the fact that I was born in Egypt, and when I was three years old, I was diagnosed with leukemia. 
And at the time, my parents had to make the decision to basically leave everything that they knew in order to immigrate and, and get me treatment here in the States because this was 1990, and at the time, medical mm -hmm. treatment in Egypt was just not sufficient um, given how severe my case was. And, and my parents were given a timeline, essentially, when I was diagnosed. Um, and so that's one element to my backstory um, that really laid the groundwork because here I was as a three, four-year-old child with cancer coming from a different country whose parents basically abandoned everything that they knew in order to figure out how this child could survive. Um, and in, in terms of my uh, memory of the of the battle, um, one of the things my editor really honed in on while I was writing Break Barriers was bringing the reader inside the room. Mm -hmm. And so I always brought, I always thought of two visuals. One of them was uh, when I was four years old uh, in California where I got my first round of treatment in the States and I had my first spinal tap. And so it was an injection into my spine as a four-year-old child. And I, I paint a picture around the walls in the doctor's office. And I talk about how my dad had to hold me down because it was the most deafening screams that I, I kind of let out um, as a result of the doctor who I describe as that bad man um, as a result of, of, of those spinal taps. Um, and what was happening as I was going through treatment is that the medicine was so high in volume and, and, and the treatment was so intense that they had to insert um, a tube that came out of uh, my throat and my chest in order to inject um, the treatment. And so those are just two visuals that I really kind of zoned in on in the book, uh, just to kind of really paint a picture around a young immigrant child who by no means was your normal um, three to four or to five year old child in, in the landscape of growing up here in America. And I wanted to paint a picture um, around how it was in those early ages, I started to uncover that something about me was different. And even though I struggled to realize what it was at certain points in my life, I just knew um, that there was something different. Right. And for you, like, you know, migrating from Egypt to the States, like, how was that transition just for your family? I mean, obviously, you know, the reason they came here yeah. was for... No, this. it was by no means easy. I mean, um, my, uh, my mother was definitely the kind of person who never envisioned celebrating a holiday without her own parents. And so, and she was young at the time. She was in her young 20s. You know, she wasn't, she, she got married fairly young. So here she was with a three-year-old cancer child, and she was pregnant while traveling. She was eight months pregnant when, when she traveled to the States. Um, and so it, there, was, there was nothing easy about it, and there was no guidebook for them. And um, my father was a little bit more um, on the mindset of, all right, this is my son, and this is what I have to do, and, and this, is, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and he, he had to kind of really, you know, lead her 
uh, throughout the process. Right. It wasn't like your typical American dream story, like we're moving for a better life. It's obviously no. just was more specific, you know, we're going for a son, this is yeah. a chance for us. And there was a lot of unknowns. There was no um, assurances, you know, moving here that things were going to work out given how bleak the um, diagnosis was in Egypt. So, you know, they didn't know how long they were going to be here. They didn't know if they were going to stay here. They didn't know if that I was going to get healthy uh, upon treatment. Right. So um, what was the point, you know, so that was mostly your childhood. What was the point? I think I read that uh, sometime at 13 you had a major surgery. That was kind yeah. of like the defining moment. So um, for the majority of my childhood, I was in and out of treatment. And at points I would get, um, you know, clear signs. I was in remission and I was good to go. Upon approaching my 13th birthday, um, I started uh, showing some uh, worrisome symptoms. I was uh, vomiting a lot. I was having these horrible headaches. Uh, and my dad had a very strong intuition. Um, he knew that was about 10 years after my initial diagnosis and my initial radiation treatment. And um, based on his experience, he uh, really marked that that timeline in his head. And I was in and out of doctor appointments and a lot of doctors just thought I was suffering from a virus or uh, something going around. And um, it was after the second or third doctor where my dad finally put his foot down and, and instructed the doctor to get me uh, a CAT scan. And upon that CAT scan, they realized there was a golf ball sized mass in, in my brain. Mm. Uh, and immediately, um, it was essentially diagnosed a brain tumor because they said there's no way a child with my history who was battling leukemia for that many years had chemo, had radiation, uh, there's no way that this is some sort of benign object. Um, and so it was on my 13th birthday that I had brain surgery right here at NYU um, and they removed the mass and uh, fortunately it was it was just a blood clot. It was called a, a venous hemangioma. Um, and so upon removing that mass, I was finally given the absolute green light in terms of health. And it was right around that time when I had, had made the promise to myself that, all right, you're about to start your life. Anything that they put in front of you at this point, you're gonna figure out a way to navigate. Because up until the age of 13, life was not normal across the board. Yeah, and I mean, at any point during that child, did you really have a, did you really have a grasp of how serious your condition was? No, my parents did a very good job of um, leading me to the most normal of lives mentally, if that makes any sense. Socially, I knew it didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. Physically, I knew it didn't fit in. Culturally, I knew it didn't fit in. Right. But, they did a really good job of making me feel like a child, you know? And, and so I didn't really know any of the medical aspect of it. I didn't know the severity of the diagnosis. Even when I was in the hospital before getting that surgery, I didn't really know what I was getting surgery for. I knew I was having brain surgery. I didn't know for what. I didn't know what they knew. They did a really good job of essentially sheltering me from uh, the despair that they were facing every time they kind of walked out of the hospital room. Do you, do you think that kind of helped, hindered? I, I think it helped because um, 
I think my my father knows me well enough to know that that emotional burden would have only made things worse in that hospital bed. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, because you know, I think by default, yeah. you know, most parents want to shield their child from any type of like trauma or any type of like hardship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I feel that you know, clearly your parents did a good job with that. Um, some people may feel that you know, by your parents quote unquote hiding it from you, that you weren't able to actually understand it and embrace it. But in this case, it all worked out. Yeah. 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 Um, they they definitely handle that to a degree that I like you know I think about if I were a parent or mm-hmm. if I had kids how I, now that I'm an adult how would I handle that and um, I have to say that you know they probably set the example for how that should be handled or right, could yeah, be yeah, handled yeah yeah considering the circumstances yeah considering yeah. the circumstances. You know, once again, you we were saying that your parents don't have the answers. Yeah. You know, at that point, they didn't know what to do. It was just exactly. like, we just have to like pick up, exactly. go to the States, and make sure our son's okay. Yeah. So it's like literally figuring this out as we go along, figuring out this new yeah. land, <laughs> you know, this new country, new country, this condition that we don't understand well, and talking to doctors and making sure our son is comfortable and just yeah. making sure that he has a normal, quote unquote, childhood yeah. for the most part outside of everything. And yeah, so, you know, just the fact that you were able, just the fact that just going through that span of time alone was just like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. that's how you start life, <laughs> you know? It's, that, that is the foundation. That, that mm. whole uh, tenure between the ages of 3 and 13, that is the foundation for everything. And, and that's what I tell people when they ask me what the objective of Break Barriers is. And uh, I tell them it's to channel the mindset that I developed between the ages of 3 and 13 and how that mindset helped me navigate all the obstacles that came my way for the rest of my life up until I'm almost 33 now for 20, you know, the next 20 years, right. almost every decision that I made across the board of, you know, in academics, professionally, on the athletic front was based on the lessons that I learned, you know, during those 10 years as a child. Right. Yeah. So speaking of athleticism, right, because, uh, you know, you have your titles, uh, <laughs> off entrepreneur, athlete. So when did the uh, physical aspect of things come to play? Um, you know, yeah. you've done marathons, you know, obviously, um, I, don't, I don't know too much about leukemia, but I'm pretty sure it takes a physical toll. Yeah. So um, was that switch or that move to kind of like trying to be physical through athleticism yeah was that just a means of like I can so I should and I will yeah so um as part of my parents you know helping me as much as possible to feel like my childhood was normal you know I was like everybody else I just wanted to play mm-hmm. you know I loved basketball as a child and I and I talk about you know all the Michael Jordan posters that I had in my room growing up and, and how he was someone that I looked up to as a child and um, I, I had a pretty good jump shot but there was one thing that really stood out I was a lot slower than all the other kids right. and it was abundantly clear I wanted it more than the other kids I did everything right everything the coaches would tell you in those younger years in those intramural leagues and you know those those rec leagues I had the heart and I wanted it so bad that no matter what I did, I was just physically slower. And that was as a result of a lot of the treatment that I underwent. And and so I just couldn't keep up. So upon getting a clean bill of health, um, you know, I was now entering high school. And like I said, I I was now operating under a new mindset. Anything you put in front of me, I was going to figure out a way to navigate. 
And so um, I went to, or I attended St. Anthony's High School in, in Long Island. And St. Anthony's is a powerhouse football program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Friday Night Lights, the entire scene, oh, everything <laughs> like that. Typical high school Yeah. Football. And so, and, and they have a, a program that's just recognized all over New York. And for me, yes, I did want to play, but more than anything, I just wanted to be a part of the locker room. Like, I needed that after growing up. What was it about the locker room? <laughs> I, I, I needed that sense of camaraderie after all these years of trying to play sports and just feeling like I wasn't as good as everybody else. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. And so I talk about in Break Barriers how... I got cut twice from a team that doesn't really cut people. <laughs> and then I came back my third year, uh, my senior year in high school, and I, and I made that team. Nice. And, and how big of a moment that was, even knowing that perhaps I won't be seeing the field, it wasn't about that. It was just about... Just being included. Being included and being a part of that locker room and feeling like I can keep up with the guys. Right. Um, so after that, I went on to college lived normal college life um, and it was during my uh, mid-twenties um, after sorting out some things on the professional stage where I decided to revisit being an athlete and so um, I started out by going to spin classes in particular um, Swerve Fitness is, is here in the city they mm-hmm. have three locations uh, I'm friends with the three co-founders. They grew up in my hometown. Oh, nice. And so when they opened up that studio, I thought of it as an opportunity to um, uh, revisit um, those days of, of trying to be an athlete. But I didn't know that I had any potential, and I didn't know um, that I really um, had anything worth like we're offering? talking about okay really talking okay. about our offering from an athletic perspective right, right. i wasn't out of shape but i wasn't an athlete i was just a normal because well, i mean yeah. the way i guess people define athletes like yeah. training and you have to like go in and out to yeah gym and i wasn't coach, i wasn't yeah. consistent i wasn't regimented i wasn't structured right. and so i started going to these classes and and what i noticed in going to these classes is that i was surrounded by people who just wanted to be better like in different phases of their life, whether it was in the studio, whether it was at their workouts, whether it was in their offices, in their careers, there was something contagious about the attitude that they sprouted out. At the same time, my roommate was a runner his entire life. And so I had never taken up running. Um, and so I never knew how to do it properly. I remember we went out on a run together once and, you know, this was routine for him. He used to get up early in the morning, go for a run, <laughs> yeah, you know. A casual 6 a.m. Yeah, you know? <laughs> not no big deal. And so I, I went out for a run with him, and we start going. And I was intimidated because this guy's been running his entire life. Yeah, yeah. So what I would do is I would sprint, stop, sprint, stop, sprint, stop. And he stopped me. a couple, Not even a mile in, he stopped me. He goes look, I'm not really sure what you're doing out here. <laughs> he goes, but the key to running essentially is you can go as slow as you want, but whatever you do, just don't stop. And so it's funny because it was in that moment that that messaging kind of transcended just running. And right. so I took that back to the spin studio and I forced myself to continue to go. And... Um, 
the the theme of the studio really um, molds well with setting goals because mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very much a goal based workout. And there was one year where I wrote down um, this year I'm going to run a half marathon, and so. I wrote it down and I put it in a place where I had to basically stare at it every day. And I had to hold myself accountable. And so I trained for months and months and months and um, I, I, I made it to race day and I had no idea that I was ever you know, gonna make it through the finish line. I had never crossed the finish line to that point. Um, and it was 10 miles into the 13 miles and I, I basically was gassed. But I summoned the energy of, of one of the instructors who I guess know pretty well in there, and she used to repeat this phrase, I can, I am, I will. Mm-hmm. And I found myself for three miles just kind of repeating that to myself. Before I knew it, I crossed my very first finish line, and the floodgates just opened after that. <laughs> because after that one half marathon, I found myself, you know, 15 races later, and uh, eventually running triathlons, which led to a half Ironman, which then led to my very first marathon in, in 2017. Um, the, but, T- the TCS marathon, right? The TCS New York City Marathon. Yeah, nice. Yeah. When, when was the year of that first marathon you were talking about? Uh, 2015. Okay. So 2015, I was uh, 28 years old. Mm. So I ran my very first race at 28 years old. I ran my first marathon when I was 30 years old. Right. Uh, in the span of those two years, you just... Yeah, in the, span of, in the span of those two years, I went from never running a race to uh, running over half a dozen half marathons mm-hmm. and doing a half Ironman and, and then running my first marathon. Nice. So it, it was a very quick um, escalation, but things were happening. The stars, the stars were aligning around my life, around um, the goals that I was setting for myself. And when I eventually moved to the triathlon circuit, I, I, uh, I'm not a good swimmer. And so I knew I'm not a good swimmer. And I had no, like, I, I know I kind of paint this picture on wanting to overcome obstacles and right. anything <laughs> you put in front of me, I'll figure out. I didn't even really have a desire to become a good swimmer, to be honest. Last than normal. Yeah, <laughs> great workout, but I it didn't I, I didn't care for it that much. Mm-hmm. And so, when I was asked to do this half Ironman, it was the scariest thing I had ever signed up for because it's a seventy mile race, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's a one point two mile swim, a fifty six mile bike ride, and a thirteen mile run, and. Uh, I basically shut things down for four months. I, I didn't have a social life. I was on a strict diet. I was working out two to three times a day on certain days. I was getting up early in the wintertime and jumping in a cold pool. Like, it was not me. And there was periods of time throughout that training cycle where I, I had to ask myself, um, you know, what the hell are you doing, man? You're not a Ironman. Like, why are you? <laughs> why are you doing this? Yes, yeah. and people were asking me along the way that knew me. They're like, why are you doing this? Like, what do you have to prove? What exactly are you trying to prove? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't have an answer for them. And uh, I make it to race day. It was June of 2017, and it was 93 degrees outside in Maryland. And I 
ultimately just wanted to make it through the swim, which is the first part, 1.2 miles in open water. And I did in about an hour, hour and seven minutes. Um, and so that was like normal time, nothing special about it, but I thought, all right, I know I have 69 miles left to go on this race, but the hard part's over. At around mile 40, um, I had a moment where the bike that I had basically just kind of caved on me. And I'm in the middle of nowhere, Maryland, and I look down and there's salt all over my skin, I'm completely dehydrated. Nice. And here I am, it, it, it was a mentally, really dark moment where I I really asked myself I'm like dude how the hell did you end up here yeah, why, like, why am I here right now why am I here right now like what did, what did you do to yourself to get you here and how are you going to get yourself out and you know I'm 30 years old I had my phone and my compression shorts and I'm thinking about calling my mother and calling it a day like I, I didn't know how I got myself to this point where I just felt alone exhausted beat up like was there a point like were okay so the race was happening yeah. you were in the midst of it yeah. like were you keeping up with people or was it just like at some no point, so what, what like, happened was um my bike from the very beginning had issues and so I immediately started to realize that any hope I had of any sort of decent time was gonna fly out the window but I still wanted to finish the race yeah, yeah. But I don't think I realized how big of a task I had ahead of me. Uh-huh. And so, and because of the weather being, you know, as hot as it was, didn't make it any easier. Um, but around mile 40, when I was in that moment, a lot of the thoughts that were going through my head were, you know, you don't belong out here. What are you doing with these athletes? Like, these are, these are athletes. Like, you're not one of them. Like, you know, and so... That was the first time in my life that I've had to dig deeper than I ever have before back into that mindset of that child and remind myself that if I can make it through what I went through as a child, I can sure as hell make it to the finish line of this race. And one of the lessons that I learned as a child was that at times you have to break things down into small wins because... Um, you're not going to always get the results when you want when you want them, right? When you're a child battling cancer, you're going to be let down. Like, there are times when they're going to say, we know you want to go play, but you actually can't play today. And so the way that I finished off the race was I had to break it down into small goals. So I challenged myself just to make it to the next water station, which was a couple miles away. And then once I got to the transition where I was going to get off the bike and I had to run 13 miles still, I basically set one mile goals and I ran thir- like one mile 13 times right. mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to celebrate every single mile in order to really power myself to get to the end. Um, and that's how I did it. And it was once I crossed that finish line that I finally, finally came to the realization of sure you've been holding on to this for a very long time it's time you start telling people this story because you just did something you never seemed fathomable that seemed never seemed fathomable to you um if you can empower one person to believe they can make it to a finish line then it's worth sharing and and that was it and that was the very first time that i wrote my story on one piece of paper and i decided to run the new york city marathon that same year 
And in order to run the marathon, I had to raise money for charity in order to get my bib. Mm-hmm. And so I just chose the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It just made sense given my diagnosis. And I balked for a second because I said to myself, whoa, like if you put this story out there, like that's it. Yeah. Like people are going to know your story. People are going to know you. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. putting yourself on a map. Which is, I mean, it's, I mean, right. So, I mean, it's, it's the classic tale of like, you know, empowerment and, and going through struggle and coming out on the other side. Yeah. And, you know, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen movies like this yeah. all the time, right? You know, the main characters just like sure. going through the dumps and, you know, through that perseverance, they come out on top, even through the hardships in between, right? So, I mean, kind of considering, you know, that type of narrative and seeing yourself in that narrative, how does it feel knowing that you kind of like fall in that type of story, you know? I mean, as I said, these are the type of stories that you see on TV or like a book or it's like, you know, how do you feel kind of being a character that someone else would read or not even, well, you're a person, but, you know, <laughs> how, how does it feel being the type of um, character or the type of person that someone else would read about and say like, yeah, you know, th- this, is, this, is, this is a story that I can relate to or this is a story that will empower me. Yeah, so one of, when I ver- when I, the very, very first time I put pen to paper was for that, that, that race. And one of the things that I was very cognizant of was I don't want to just, you know, write a biography. That's not, not my goal. I don't want to just say, you know, he was born here, he was diagnosed here, he, you know, battled this and battled that and overcame that. What I was really focused on was being relatable. And one of the things that I thought about as I was writing Break Barriers was this isn't a book for people battling cancer. This isn't a book for athletes. This isn't a book for people navigating their career. I want this book to be for any person that picks it up to realize that there is something in there that they can relate to and take away uh, from the messaging. And so I titled it during that first um, rendition on the marathon, I titled it, The Comeback is Always Greater Than the Setback. And that's when I focused in on um, the lessons I learned as a child, focused on patience, perspective, and purpose. And I think that's why it did really well. So, um, you know, fast forward, the story uh, went viral and got recognition way beyond any of my expectations. And I ended up becoming the top fundraiser for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society in 2017. And I raised over $50,000 just by sharing that story on a piece of paper. Right. And so um, the reason I think it was successful is because I didn't make it biographical and I really focused on um, what the normal person on the street who never knew me could potentially relate to in the message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the book is essentially my way of taking that one page and turning it into 170 pages. Right, right. Um, but yeah, that, that was the purpose there. Yeah, because it becomes less about your story and like each part of your life pretty much can be translated into a motivational moment. Right. So, and it's funny that motivation is kind of what you kind of exude because, you know, in the, the core of my series or this series is about what motivates you. Right. Um, I think there was a certain point when I was kind of like profiling all these people where I realized we're all 
this, like the core of all of us, of course, people in general, is that we're all motivated by something. We're motivated by either, you know, something as tangible as like our jobs or our children or something like that. But even it's more deeper, like this level of faith there. And for you, like, was I mean, are you a faithful person? Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, my my uh, my father is actually a priest. Oh wow! Yeah. 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 So that that was another element to my childhood that was different. Um, you know, I, I definitely I. I I'm more spiritual in, in nature, um, but you know I, I think faith was always a part of the way that I grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it translates into like how you were able to like persevere all these things, right? So yeah, in that sense of just motivation, like you know, I ask I ask everybody you know that I profile like what motivates you to get up every day and make the best of it. Um, you can certainly answer that question. I'm pretty sure you know it's could be a standard answer, but you know, yeah, what is what motivates you to wake up every day and make the best of it? Um, what motivates me is, is the recognition that obstacles are put in front of you um, to dare you and, and not necessarily to define you. So it was that realization that um, propelled a lot of my motivation. And, and so um, if you have cancer... You shouldn't be defined as a cancer patient. Right. I was going to ask you that right? too. Like, are like, you defined by your survivorhood? Basically? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I don't define myself by my survivorhood. And I encourage people when they know people are diagnosed with a disease, whatever it may be, not to necessarily define them by their disease mm-hmm. because they are not their disease. Right. It's like a stigma. Yeah. You know? They are like, not their disease, essentially. You don't walk around saying, hi, yeah. I'm Bishoy. I yeah. survived cancer. Yeah. Look at exactly. me. Exactly. Like the brain, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's what motivates me is, is getting people to understand that we all have obstacles and um, that's not going to go away. But when you change the mindset around how you perceive those obstacles um, into, uh, again, something that's going to dare you to be greater, that, that's, that's when you figured it out. Right. And so my motivation is sharing that message. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's kind of how I would address that. Um, but it took me 30 years to realize that. Right, no, absolutely. And for some, it takes longer. Yeah. So for some, it takes sooner. I mean, do you feel like this type of... I mean, and I don't know how you kind of frame it at this point because, yeah, it was a traumatic experience, I'm sure, you know, going through that. But, like, without that stage in your life, do you feel like you'd still, like arrive at the same destination no no I, I think um, one of the lessons that I that I learned um, the hard way and I don't even know if this is a lesson one of the elements to my mindset is that I almost always look for pain or failure or mm-hmm. struggle because I believe that's where you build strength and so if everything's just kind of happening normally and life is moving along well um, I, I tend to feel like I'm not doing something right in the sense that I'm not challenging myself or I'm not putting myself in a situation where I can learn right. and, and perhaps that goes back to my childhood because there was almost always an obstacle in front of me 
mm-hmm. uh, where now in my adult life, I basically have to go seek out obstacles right, right, right. To, feel, <laughs> to feel normal. Right, right. Uh, of course. And it's so, not like you're going to put yourself in a perilous position to say, like, all right, yeah. let's see how I'm going to get on this one today. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but it's things like signing up for that half Ironman and, and mm-hmm. putting myself in that position. It's things like um, writing a book. Writing a book when I, I, I had no literary background. I, I, there, I had no business writing a book. Right. I, I, I shared this with you before. I Googled how to write a book. I, I literally Googled how to write a book. There's a lot of people, to be honest, yeah. that have written books that have no time yeah, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I Googled it without any insight into anything in mm-hmm. terms of uh, the timeline, the cost, how to publish, how to edit. You know, and, and I think that is part of just the continuous escalation of, of obstacles that um, have been put in front of me so far. Right. And, and just throughout, you know, sharing your story and, you know, I mean, I know in the beginning you kind of mentioned that you were apprehensive about sharing it, but now that it's out there and you've kind of, you know, pretty sure talked to different people, um, have you experienced anyone throughout just kind of sharing your story that was able to, in some way, directly, like, say, hey, like, I'm you, or, you know, kind of that one-on-one um Relatability, you know. Yeah. Um, I've had a few people reach out um, on on different accounts, and what I love about some of that feedback is it fell in line with what I wanted to do. Like I mentioned around the book, and making it relatable to anyone that picks it up, because I've had people reach out and say, "Hey, you know, I, I've read or heard about your story, and in in looking into it a little bit deeper." as an immigrant child myself you know it really hit home with me and then i've had people who would similarly say you know i've had trouble navigating my career but you know seeing you um, show strength in the face of some you know uphill battles during my own career um you know helped me kind of change my mindset um and so I look for that, or, or I should say, I don't look for that, but that makes me happier right. than, you know, a review that says, you know, really good read, inspirational, <laughs> uh, motivational, right. like, great. Yeah, like, five stars, no, so you should pick it up. No, but, <laughs> if, yeah, but if someone says something to the tune of, like, I felt like I was right there in the room with you because I had experienced X, Y, and Z, those are the reviews that, um, you know, really touch me and... and, and that's what makes it all worth it for me, ultimately. Right. And, you know, especially the way that you wrote the book, that was your intention. That was my intention. Just that someone is literally following that journey with you and understanding the lessons that you learned throughout that process, which is just, is it, it's a skill for someone who, who's not an author. <laughs> you know, definitely a skill that, you know, you're able to touch, touch with, which is great. Um, just a couple more cues. I mean, now that you know, yeah. we're growing up. We're growing up. Yeah, you know? we're good. We're good. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, so you're going through all these things. Would you, and I know that for me, so superheroes, right? It seems random. I have a, I, I have a thing for superheroes. You know, people that have extraordinary abilities that can come through and save the day and all these things. Um, and, I'm, and I'm reading, you know, I'm just hearing you talk. And obviously, I don't know if you ever frame yourself like this, but would you call yourself a hero? No. No, definitely not. Not not like superpower hero. But no, I'm talking no, no, about not like even, not even, not even at all. I I um, 
No. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I don't feel like I have, like that I'm, there is nothing special about me. I don't find anything about me to be special. Um, One may argue. I, <laughs> fair, but I, I um, no. I, I mean, I, I wish I could kind of elaborate on that for you, but I really, no, I really don't. And I, I think um, it, my father has been a man of service his entire life. And I've done my best to try and learn from him as much as possible. Mm. And people have titled him a hero and it's not even a matter of being graceful and not accepting the title right. it's more so the sense that you know in the deepest part of his heart never would he actually believe that he's a hero right. and so I definitely don't if, if he's not I'm not Right. And if you were asking me who my hero is, it would be him. Right, because in yeah. essence, he yeah like saved you in a sense. Yeah, you know yeah, and and so you know, I definitely am not. Right. I mean, but I appreciate the question. And no, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've never been asked. No one. I, I've <laughs> no, I, I've been asked similar types of questions, mm-hmm. but I I just I I don't see anything special about me. Like, but yet right. these were the cards that I was dealt. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I remind people is that, um, especially here in a city like New York, um, you can't take things for granted because at the end of the day, um, you might have something to complain about, whether it's your health, whether it's your relationships, whatever it may be. But someone here in New York will take the cards that you're dealt happily and figure out a way to win with them. And so... Um, yeah, that is that is really a New York thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and once again, your situation is is different in the sense yeah. of like you know you were born in Kentucky or whatever. Sure. But just in the gamut of like living in a city like New York, yeah. like we live, it's kind of like you take all the cards that you're dealt and you just make the best of it, exactly. right? And that has been one of the threads throughout most of the people I've spoken to, you know, whether they've come outside the city and they moved in, whether they were born and raised in the city, you know, people with you know all the hardships that they have, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? They, they take that and they, they make it work. Yeah. You know, in, in a city like New York, and I don't know if there's any other city like it, just, there's a spirit about New York that, that says, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you have, even the little bit, yeah. you can take any little bit and make it work yeah. here, you know? Yeah. And, and just in that specific part, because I do like tying New York yeah, to these stories, um, you know, as you as you go around and speaking to different people and stuff like that, how do you feel that you moving? So when you moved to the states, you moved to New York. I lived in California for a year, okay. and then almost all my life I've been in New York since the age of four or five years old. Okay, so just just being in New York itself, how do you feel that your story resonates with like different people that, that live here? I mean, I'm pretty sure that you know you've um, encountered I, other people yeah. with hardships and shared stories and stuff like that. So I, I definitely think there's a community that it resonates with. And when I say community, I don't mean to hone in on a specific group. I mean, mm. there's definitely a group of people that it, it resonates with. But that's also part of the reason why, you know, I, I answered my, the previous question the same way, is that there are so many struggles here in New York, right? Like, I, I think 
maybe one thing that differentiates me from other people going through struggles is I wrote mine down and <laughs> put, it, put it in a book and uh, I had a really good editor who helped me construct it and make it a good read and, and make it enjoyable. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think sometimes in New York is that people are very much dealing with their own struggles that at times they don't have the time to like find that other struggle that they can relate to. Right. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, because some people feel like they're just drowning. Yeah. You know, it's just like one struggle. It's like, all yeah. right, trying to overcome that. Oh, another struggle. It's it, like a wave. It, a wave exactly. And where in the midst of all that do you have time to find, you know, someone you can relate to? Right, exactly. Yeah. And this is, you know, kind of all ties back to why, you know, I really like doing this series because, once again, someone could pass you in the street, not know you at all. And the fact that you have such a unique story, which is unlike anyone else, or it could be similar to other people, but, you know, you would never guess, you know, you'd never guess that, you know, you've been through so much in your life and you're able to, you know, overcome it and power through and achieve so much, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, this same thing with you, like you might have bumped into someone in the street by accident, stand somebody, stand to someone, stand next to someone on the train. Just a regular average person, Joe Jane, and they could have a miraculous story that if you would, you know, semantically take a minute to sit down and talk to them, you'd figure out like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? I would have never guessed by just looking at you, Absolutely. you know, because in a place like New York, we always go up by our parents. You know, it's, it's, very <laughs> it's very like solidified. It's like based on how you look or based on how you carry yourself, you know, you're going to assume, you're going to. Um, you know, make you're gonna you're gonna make the story for someone else in your head in those two seconds. But you know, actually having the time to sit down and and get to know somebody like that, you know, it's it's powerful. You know, it brings us closer together. You're absolutely right. So on that note, thank you, sir. Thank this you. Really great conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no, this is great, and I'm glad that you know everyone listening, you know, will be able to get an opportunity to just get to know a very. But of course, you average person. <laughs> thank you. What a great story. Thank so. you, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate it. No, thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Minutes Heard. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow or subscribe to Minute Minute New York on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube.